Hello and welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about health after birth and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a health journalist and I'm also a mum. In this series, I'm asking some brilliant, wise and witty guests to share their thoughts on how the politics of postnatal health affects us all and the big ideas which could change our lives for the better. Most importantly, we'll also be sharing our own stories of health and recovery after birth and our honest experiences of motherhood. That's because it's only by sharing our stories that we can empower each other to ensure we all know what to expect and to make sure we all get the care and support we need, both after birth and throughout motherhood. This is Mother Bodies. For today's episode, I spoke with Sarah Jane Dunn, the actress, model and host of the Hot and Bothered podcast. You may know Sarah best from the soap Hollyoaks. She played the character Mandy Richardson on and off for 26 years, but she left the show in 2021 to focus on producing her own content for the subscribers-only site OnlyFans. She's also a mum to Stanley, who is nearly six years old. Now, the day that me and Sarah spoke, I had COVID, so I sound pretty croaky. And it was also the hottest day of the year. In fact, it was the hottest day on record. It was nearly 40 degrees up in the northwest where Sarah is based. And as a result, her computer fan was in overdrive. It was whirring away like crazy, trying to keep cool during our conversation. Now, I've done what I can to minimise that. But as a result, the sound quality of our conversation isn't as great as I would like it to be. However, I really hope that you will bear with us and listen to what Sarah has to say, because the way that she speaks so candidly and openly about her experience of birth and recovery is just really valuable. It's so important that someone with her public status is willing and able to talk about these things. Sarah also has some really fascinating insights into the way things could be improved for mothers everywhere. So definitely worth a listen. Just please bear with us through some of the more crackly bits. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. I started by asking Sarah how she manages to balance her very hectic work schedule with being a mum to a young child while doing all of it in the public eye. This is what she had to say. I think it's all about prioritising and managing time. I'm a real to-do list girl and diary girl. Um, I can't I can't manage my life full stop without that. But actually, since leaving the show last year and going on my own and, and managing my own sort of schedule and life anyway, it's actually become much easier because I'm in charge of what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, what my diary says, where I'm working, if I want to take certain jobs on, and I can work that all around Stan and my husband's job and career. And, you know, we've got school holidays imminently about to start. So I've really wound things down for the next few weeks. We're going on holiday as well. So I've sort of tried to cram everything in before that so that I can be there for him. And actually, I would never have been able to do that prior to this. So it's been a real sort of game changer for me. And, and, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to take back control. I wanted to be in control of my own career and life. And it's it's helped him more ways than I could have ever imagined. Because actually, I don't know what how I would have managed life if I'd still been on the show because the hours were so long and, you know, I wasn't ever in, in control of the scheduling and, you know, holiday days were a few and far between and those you had to sort of apply for and they could get reviews. So I genuinely don't know what I would have done had I still been so sort of busy with that filming schedule. So it, it's been really nice and especially in Stan's sort of, he's just about to finish year one and, and obviously with COVID and, you know, all parents would have gone through this with children being disrupted and especially at that sort of 
young age where I feel like they're really learning social skills and, and learning how to interact and getting confident and comfortable in their own skin. It was really challenging anyway, so I'm glad that I've been able to be around so much for it in this sort of first year. Oh, that's brilliant. Is this your first summer holidays? Last year was the first summer holidays. So I only left uh, end of October last year. So yeah, we did have to juggle. And I think I'm really lucky in that my parents don't live very far away. They're like 40, 45 minute drive away. And they're really hands on and they're really helpful. And, you know, my, my mum's in her 70s, my dad's in her 60s. And luckily, they're both active and and healthy such wood and you know, they, they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant with him. And again, I, do, I genuinely don't know how people do juggle, you know, work and life. I think you just do it, don't you? You just need must and you do what you have to do. And when I get a job that does require me to work long hours, then I'll work out how we do that then. And, you know, I'm, I'm married, so I've got my husband, so we can work things out between us. And we do on days where I to travel or, you know, we make it work. And I think you just do make it work, don't you? But it is it's difficult and I yeah I hats off to anyone who's single parents or doesn't have help or you know works long hours and hey pay for childcare and then earning wages that then just pay for your childcare just to, to me go how, how does that how, how does it work <laughs> it's crazy isn't it yeah so it's brilliant that you really feel like you've taken control back of your career and your work-life balance and and a big part of that obviously was your decision to move to OnlyFans which was also the catalyst for you ending your relationship with Hollyoaks who for listeners that aren't aware basically said that you couldn't be on OnlyFans and be on Hollyoaks at the same time but you you have said that you did get quite a lot of criticism for that decision and there were people saying that you can't be on OnlyFans and you can't be doing these nice sexy photo shoots of you in lingerie or bikinis or whatever because you're a mom. Um, can you talk about how that makes you feel when you receive those kind of comments? Yeah, so actually the majority of people were really supportive of my decision and, um, you know, I think it, it made the press so much because it was really sort of critical of the show and, you know, I've done photo shoots like I'm doing now for the platform since I was 17 years old. They were contractual. It was part of the show and it was, yeah, I loved them. You know, I loved being part of that and I got to go to many nice places and work with amazing people. The criticism that I did get and the small minority of people that did sort of take the other opinion of what I'd done, the comments that upset me and annoyed me the most were the ones that were like, you shouldn't be doing this. You're a mother. Like, what sort of example are you setting? Or, you know, you're in your 40s, like, you should be covering up. You shouldn't be showing flesh. And, and actually, that made me want to do it more. And actually, that made me more determined to make it a success and, and show people. Because actually, of the supportive people, a lot of them were women that were going, oh, my God, like, for me, this is really motivational and inspirational. And go on, girl. Like, why should your age be a factor in, in what you're doing? do it for the sort of and I hate this but the the older generation because I really think age is just a number and I look to women like Helen Mirren and JLo and you know they're not even that much older than me but they're blazing the trail for for people like me going well you can rock it and look awesome and there are no rules and why are we letting society go well no you know you get to that age and you're putting that bracket you have a child you can't be sexy anymore once you've had a child why not I mean if anything it made me feel sexier and more empowered having a child and knowing what my body could do and getting my body back to a place where I felt comfortable and confident with it after having a child being 
that sort of role model for my son and yeah and going actually you can do this and that you don't have to be put in that box and if you are put in that box you can bash your way out of it (laughs) absolutely but I do think a lot of mums do find it hard or feel like they're not allowed to be sexy why do you think it is again I think we've just been conditioned to think that I just think I think it's a disrespect for the female body and I think there's a lot of that that needs to be worked on in that we have to respect what a woman's body can do and that it changes and that it's beautiful in any form. And, and, and again, I think like stretch marks and cellulite and things like that are all part of a woman's body naturally. And those things might be exaggerated when you've had a baby, but why not embrace that? And why do we have to hide it? Like, why are we being shamed? And I think it is about shame and like say disrespect for the woman's body. It's probably come from men, you know, nothing against men, but I think there there is a sort of stigma in that if a man doesn't want to see a woman's body in a certain way or it's not perfect, which perfect, you know, perfection doesn't exist because it's different in every person's eyes. And if you look at like the perfect woman's body over the generations, it changes from generation to generation anyway. So who's to say what is perfect and what isn't? Um, well, unfortunately, I think society makes women really feel that way. And I think social media has a big impact on that. And again, I, I hope that that is change you know people are trying to push those boundaries people like Vicky Pattinson and I know she's not got children but she's very open about the body and you know how it looks and her imperfections and and I think it's really important for accounts like that to go and um, I think what Emma Thompson was one that put up a post recently I don't know if you saw that of her body and she was basically naked and just covering up her bits and going why are we being shamed like why are we told to feel a certain way our bodies are amazing and why are you missing out on life and experiences and joy just because of what your body looks like or what somebody else is telling you doesn't look nice or isn't perfect? You're obviously very confident in yourself and your body now. Um, is that a confidence that you've always had? Have you always felt comfortable in your own skin or is that something that you've had to work on or has come to you later in your career? I mean, I've always, my body's always sort of been on show because of the show, because of the shoots I've done. So I've always been, I guess, pushed out of my comfort zone. Or it's always sort of been the norm to me to do bikini shoots, lingerie shoots, and to be scantily clad in the show. But I wouldn't say I've always been comfortable with it. And the confidence has definitely come with age and with the work that I've done sort of on myself. Um, Because I've got insecurities, just like, anyone else but I think as long as I can work on those myself and go well why am I insecure about that and actually unless I tell someone what those insecurities are they wouldn't even know what they are because what I'm looking at going oh I don't if I could change that I would or I don't really like that or I'll work on that someone else might go oh my god I wish I had that just like I would look at someone else's body and go my god she looks amazing but probably She's got hang ups once, you know, longer legs, bigger boobs, smaller boobs, bigger bob. Yeah, I mean, you just can't win. So I think you just have to really learn to work on why you've got those insecurities. What's triggering that? It's a bit of a journey, isn't it? And without getting all sort of like deep, I think a lot of the journey for me has come through speaking to a life coach and a therapist. And that's something that I only really started doing over the last couple of years. It's been one of the best things I've ever done. Listening to amazing podcasts reading books I've done a lot of reading um about confidence and feminism and you know all of these things have really really helped and sort of 
helped shift my mindset out of, again, what we've been conditioned to think and feel. And, and again, I, I really believe that becoming a mum was a big part of that for me as well, because suddenly the things that were a big deal become a little bit insignificant and irrelevant and, you know, there's a bigger purpose in life and you are a role model. And I, you know, I've got a son, not a daughter, but I want him to be a forward thinking male and be compassionate and understanding and supportive. And so I, I really try and do my best to sort of parent him in that way, as does my husband, who obviously is very supportive of what I do as well. And, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a personal journey for everyone, isn't it? It's interesting what you say about having Stanley and that being one of the things that changed your view on the world. Do you think that might have been the beginning of the feeling that you had that you needed to change your life and take control of more elements and couldn't be sort of dictated to by other people's schedules anymore? Yeah, possibly. I think for a long time, I sort of felt like a child almost, or certainly sort of not in a position where I felt comfortable or confident enough to speak out or to go, actually, you know, I'm not happy with that, or I don't want to do that, or my opinion is this, not that. And and I think that a lot of that for me is because I was on the show for so long from being so young. Um, so I certainly think that having a child was a bit of a, oh my gosh, I'm a grown-up moment. <laughs> you know, I've got this other human that I'm entirely responsible for and he needs me. And, and I'm not a baby anymore. And, you know, I, I did a lot of, of other work in between um, the gaps that I had away from the show. And, you know, the biggest gap being like six years during that time I had Stanley. And I think going back somewhere that I've been as a child and I'd sort of grown up and gone through really formative years there. And then going back as a woman, as a mother, everything sort of had changed. And I think it's difficult going back somewhere because you sort of expect it to be how you knew it and you have memories of a certain place, but things change and obviously things develop and things move on. And so in you as a human, as a person, move, move on and grow. And yeah, so I think going back as an adult and as a mother was very different experience. And I think again, and then with the work that I've been doing with therapists and life coaching and my personal work meant that actually I needed to put boundaries in place and in all aspects of life, you know, career, relationships, friendships, personal things. And I think a lot of that was, was, yeah, was a catalyst for me going, actually, I need to have more control over me and who I am and what I'm doing and how I'm feeling and my opinions and my life. Yeah. Now that you are a mum, I'm just wondering, do you sort of look back on 17 year old you and think, oh my God, as a mum, would you be happy if your son walked into the same job or if you had a daughter walked into the same job now, do you think? I mean, I would never stop and do whatever he wants to do because my husband was an actor as well. That's how we met. He's not now, but we met on a bids job together. And so we've had this conversation and, you know, both of us have gone, I'd rather he didn't only because, you know, you have some incredible experiences. I've made friends for life and I wouldn't change anything. And, um, you know, I have zero regrets, but it's difficult. It's a really difficult industry. And I think uh, you've got to be thick skinned, especially this day and age. I didn't grow up with social media. Thank goodness. Cause I think it must be so, so difficult. I grew up with like just 17 magazines, things like that. And even that, looking back, you know, I had pictures stuck all over a bin of, of models and 
beautiful girls and that I aspire to be like. So it must be impossible to navigate now, especially with filters and things where you don't actually know what a human looks like or they don't look like what they look like. So yeah, I would never stop him doing anything he wanted to do. And I would support him. Like my mum supported me and she was never a pushy mum. It was always like, this is up to you. You decide if you want to stop, you stop. Like, and she was fantastic and super supportive. So I'd, I'd, I'd just have to be like that. And then I guess what would be useful with that is that I've got the knowledge. And John Mosman has got the knowledge from the other side, whereas my mum, bless her, was sort of navigating it as it was a whole new world. So at least we can support him on, on that side. I mean, obviously you have a fantastic figure now and, and you did before you had Sunny, but do you think, especially having the job that you did and being an actress, did you feel under a particular pressure to get your figure back after birth or was that something that sort of came from within you? I didn't actually. And I, and I really tried when I had Stanley to be a sort of advocate for not rushing into getting back, back into shape, which, you know, your body changes forever when you have a child and that's not a bad thing. So my husband now is a, is a PT on some gym and we qualified as personal trainers together at the same time and then both did our pre and postnatal fitness qualifications. So actually I had a really good knowledge of the body of what it goes through of how to repair the body, not get back into any sort of shape, how to repair it, how to do it correctly, how to do it in the right amount of time, nutrition. And then at, at post having Sally, I did my postnatal journey with um, an amazing group of women called Female Fitness Academy, who I'd worked with as a personal trainer prior to having him. So I was in a really fortunate position that I had knowledge and people around me that could help me. And I didn't feel any sort of pressure, but I think that's because I have the knowledge of what my body had gone through rather than going, oh my God, I've got to look a certain way within a certain amount of time. And also I just really wanted to enjoy being a mum. I was really conscious of that. I wanted to have Stanley and put no pressure on myself so I could just be mum and take it all in and, you know, enjoy that. Go for like lunches enjoy my maternity and not go all oh, I can't all oh, I better not have you you're confusing your body and I, I only breastfed for a week it, you know it didn't work for me and it wasn't for me but even so again I think it's really important you know your body is mending and healing to fuel it with nutritious healthy food and not starve it or you know do anything silly and you've referred a couple of times to the fact that our bodies change forever yeah. after we have babies and I feel like not always in ways you expect I'm pretty sure my nose has changed since I was pregnant it's really weird that's amazing um, was there anything sort of specific that happened to you and your body after you had Stanley that came as a particular shock or surprise to you well the one one thing that I'd still definitely lost is the part of my brain that can remember where I put my phone and my husband says I'm Mickey out of it all the time because I'm just like that Stanley has taken that part of me because I literally could put it down and then go I don't know how um, so that's definitely been affected something up there. Um, probably the biggest shock, and again, I wish that there was more for women in this, but I remember I was in hospital for a week after I had Sam. We both had to stay in because we both got an infection. And that was something that I hadn't anticipated. I thought I'd go straight home. I thought I'd, you know, be kicked out of the hospital and, you know, you're fine, go. And, and so actually I had a really difficult, lonely week. 
because obviously John couldn't stay overnight. I didn't have a baby before, so this was all new. I was trying to breastfeed and wondering what he needed and doing it on a hospital ward where it was really noisy. There were the babies crying and so that's quite a big shock. They came round and I remember again, like I already had the knowledge about diastasis recti. So like your abs splitting about rebuilding your core and your pelvic floor and, and all of the exercise that you do. And I just remember getting given a leaflet. They didn't even say what the leaflet was. I got handed a leaflet and I was like, oh, thanks. And then looking through it and knowing exactly what it was because I knew, but thinking any other woman that got given this would probably go, well, what's this? Or it get put to one side. There was no sort of like, this is really important. It's important you do this. It's important you take the time with this. Here's extra resources if you need it. Here's some other people you could reach out to in the area. There was none of that. And that shocked me more because I knew how important that part of the postnatal journey really is for you moving forward for your strength and training more than anything. And then the, all the other sort of grin things, I guess, that more people starting to talk about now, which is fantastic. But, you know, like, so I had complications with Stanley. The label was all great up until him coming out. And then he basically got stuck. And um, he was trying to come out sideways. Bless him. Um, and so I ended up getting cut and it ended up being quite a severe second degree cut, which then had repercussions moving forward with, uh, obviously, stitches and then with going to the toilet doing the number two like things like that where you, you none of these things you sort of think you have a baby or it might be a bit sensitive down there for a little bit but then I'll be fine and then there's all this emphasis on getting your body back to a certain shape or size but actually nobody talks about the sort of medical implications and how difficult they can be as well as looking after a new child and yeah for me that was an ongoing thing that didn't really sort of correct itself until I did start my proper weight training again, which was, God, I think Stanley was about 17, 18 months old before I okay. really went back to the gym and, and, and really, you know, went, got back into my training. I took all of that time to really rebuild my postnatal strength to repair my ab separation, which I was lucky I didn't have much, but it was still there to rebuild my pelvic floor and then to gently start training again. Every labour of birth is different for every woman, isn't it? So I guess there isn't, there's no looping where you can go, oh, this is what happens. But I, I do feel like I could have been more sort of prepped for what might happen. And in that scenario, then how do we fix that? Well, and also I think, you know, like you say, everyone's experience is different, but something like eight out of 10 new mothers in the UK have either a tear or a cut that requires stitches. So you'd think that, you know, really we should be working on the presumption that most people... You're probably going to end up with stitches. Yeah. Exactly. And actually thinking about it, all the people I've spoken to about this, I'm not sure that anyone was quite prepared for how long it would take to really recover from that, you know, and mm -hmm. to feel sort of normal and comfortable sitting down and moving around. Did you feel like that sort of specific element took you sort of days, weeks to recover from? Was it more than you expected? I think that was more than expected, yeah. In a way, and I remember saying to the time, I hated being in hospital for a week. Like I say, I was a little bit lost. I wasn't really sure what I was doing. But on the flip side of that, I had someone that was checking my stitches daily. So the nurse would come round and check that everything was all right. She'd have a little look. I think if I'd have been at home in that scenario, I would have been a bit more paranoid. 
about what was going on down there because you can't see down there. I didn't want my husband to take a look for me, you know. So that was actually a really beneficial part of being in the hospital for that time after. And then obviously Stanley was pre-COVID, thank goodness. So I got midwife care that came around within those first few weeks that was able to check my stitches, make sure everything was, was fine. And actually because of that, I did get out and about quite quickly but I think it was more the long-term healing with everything down there because although you know you stitches might will heal and will dissolve then like I say the repercussions of the extent of the cut that I had and then the scarring from that I had quite a lot of problems with the scarring with sensitivity so then obviously moving forward in your relationship with sex and things like that but again that's not really a conversation that you end up having or you again it's different for everyone but you don't know how long that's gonna take and there was a lot of issues that I didn't anticipate that did go on for at least a year before I'd sort of really got back into my training and that seems to be the thing for me that that resolved things yeah I think the unknown and it's it's funny because I think if you spoke to me when I was pregnant or before I got pregnant and, and told me these stories I probably would have gone oh my gosh don't tell me that like I don't want to hear the horror stories but actually the reality is that you're probably better off hearing the horror stories and then you know you expect the worst it's probably going to be absolutely fine <laughs> <laughs> I do think that's a big issue because I've spoken to a few people about that and I think I was exactly the same in pregnancy I was like don't tell me anything bad I just need to get through this pregnancy yeah like, I can't think of horror stories. Like, I'll, I'll think about what happens next when it happens. When it happens, yeah. But actually, we need to know, don't we? We need to know what normal recovery looks like. And, it, you know, it's interesting that someone as fit and healthy as you were still really felt like it's a proper full year until you felt yourself again, really. Yeah, um, I mean, longer than a year before I felt myself, 100%. But I'd say it was a good year of recovery. Mm. And then the sort of finding myself happened once I felt like my body was healed to a certain standard and do you feel like you had all of the healthcare help and support that you needed to fully recover was that something that you you talked about the leaflet not being up to much or did you yeah. sort of have to seek that out I had to seek it out really I mean I it was visits to the GP really and it took quite a while for them to understand so I had like um and is it an anal fissure I never know how to say it so like a tear um, so that took quite a while for the GPs to sort of diagnose and go, okay, this is why going to the toilet is really painful and why you're bleeding. And these were things, again, that I never, you know, by this point, Stanley's one year old and I'm still going, this is still an issue and I still not resolved it. And how do I resolve it? And and it was me sort of going and, and going, well, what, what you said last time didn't help and, and that hasn't helped. So what can I do now? Because... You know, I think I was on steroid creams. I was like, I don't want to be on these forever. And actually, it's not really resolving the issue. And, and am I stuck with this forever? And I think because I'd had such a bad, like, like say, second degree cut, they were a little bit like, well, it's just, you've just been unfortunate. It's like, well, the way I have to live my life like this now. Like, no one told me that there was just going to be a problem forever. Um, and I remember when they, they did the cut and they were like, oh, yeah, it's been quite a bad cut. It's gone quite far. And I was off my head on gas and air and I ended up having an epidural because my placenta got struck. So I, after having Stanley, I got literally got taken away and taken to theatre immediately. So I didn't see it for hours. And 
Yeah, I remember them saying to me, oh, it's quite a bad cut, so we're going to have to stitch you. Luckily, it was the doctor that stitched me because I, I'd gone to theatre. So I think I actually I got a really good job at stitching. And I've heard horror stories about that where, you know, the stitching up's not been right and it's had to be rectified after. But I, yeah, I remember them saying that was quite bad and me just being like, okay, thanks. Because I didn't know what was going on. I was just right. like, I was off my head. I didn't have anyone there with me to, to sort of take that information in from some sort of, you know, a, a clear-minded uh, perception of, of what they were saying. It was just me going, okay, cool, great. I'm thinking, right, I can't feel my body. Yeah. Where's my baby? <laughs> like, I've just been in labor for like 10 hours. You're telling me these things. I don't know what's going on. And, you know, all of the aftermath I didn't expect. I never thought that I'd end up in theater after having Stanley. That was never sort of spoke to me about. I didn't know that the placenta could get stuck. A cord snapped. So that's how that happened. So that was fun, fun, fun. Like, they tell you things, don't they, in your sort of prenatal journey and your classes. But that is something that I'd never heard of. And, um, yeah, it would be it would be nice to be more informed, absolutely, and I, and I think just to have those resources available, whether you want to look at them or not, to know that they're there, would be great. Yeah, and it sounds like you had a a really difficult time. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that with hey, all the different interventions and hospital stays. It's what it is, isn't it? it? You know, that was my journey and that was my experience. And I was really lucky with my pregnancy. Like I had a great pregnancy, so I sort of feel like, well, that for me was that this is where it's going to go a bit wrong. So you can't have it all. <laughs> and I know you said that we need more education generally, but is there any kind of one thing that you wish you wish you'd known or been told before you got pregnant about what would happen afterwards in your recovery? Yeah, probably just the longevity of it, I think. Like you were saying, like I never, never expected to, you know, a year after having somebody be still having issues that had arisen from the birth. I think in my head, I was like, well, if anything like that happens, you know, within a couple of months, it'll be fine. And I think the only thing that I'd sort of heard was, you know, you get a tail or you get a cut and you get stitches. So you might just be a bit uncomfortable sitting down for a few weeks, but that'll pass. So, uh, yeah, I wish I'd known how much of an effect that would have on my body. And I think for me, then it wasn't a case of body confidence in terms of the way I looked. Mine was more a case of body confidence in, in terms of has this had like a long-term detrimental effect on bodily functions and how is that going to work moving forward? And that there wasn't really, like I say, I sought out help from my GP, but there wasn't really any sort of person to go to for that kind of thing. Like by then my midwife care had ended and I didn't feel like there was anyone that I could really reach out to other than go to the GP going, hi, I've still got this problem. And, and actually, like I say, they were great, but it's not for them. That's not a big deal. It's not a big problem. It's just like, oh, here you go. We'll try this. Whereas for me, it was really quite, it was, it was affecting my day to day. Um, so yeah, I wish there was sort of more resources and, and openness around the longevity of the postnatal. And especially with something when you have an intimate problem, you know, if you're in pain every time you went to the toilet, it's very difficult to live with, isn't it? It does chip away at your confidence and yeah. interfere with your daily life. Yeah, it does. And it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? It's not something that you really want to talk about. And I'm quite happy to be open about these things. And um, it's great to have a platform to do that. And I think it's important that women do speak openly and what you're doing is fantastic for that. I think it's really important. But it is embarrassing. And I remember being embarrassed telling my husband and, and also the worries and the sort of concern going, well, why is this happening? And should I be like 
really worried? Or is there something more? You know, you're always told to look out for changes when you go to the toilet. So I was like, my God, well, this could be really bad. Like, do I need to go and get checked for something else? Is this, am I now, this is nothing to do with the pregnancy, but this is something more severe. So yeah, it, it was, it was sort of playing on my mind constantly throughout that time. So it did affect me and confidence and sort of day to day. My final question for you is if there was one thing that you could change about the world we live in, which would improve life for mums everywhere, what would that be? Oh, better access to childcare that doesn't cost an absolute arm and leg. Like I said at the beginning, I genuinely don't know how mums or dads do that with the childcare situation and, and work, especially in the current climate. And I think, you know, it's, it's companies were more understanding of mothers and parents and the responsibilities and, and the time and, and, a, and a bit more sort of free to people using the time when they need to, whether that's to do the school run or working from home or being more understanding of mums in general, then the world would revolve much more smoothly, make it a bit easier for us. <laughs> you've made it this far then thank you for bearing with the crackly computer fan noise and if you are interested in hearing more from sarah then please do follow her on instagram she's at sarah jane dunn that's jane with a y and of course you can also listen to her on the hot and bothered podcast and find her on OnlyFans. as always i will put all the links to all of those things in the show notes I just also want to make clear that obviously, as neither Sarah nor myself are medical professionals in any way, the information discussed in this episode should not be a substitute for proper medical advice. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, or you're worried about your own health, then please, please do speak to your GP, a women's health physio, or any other trusted healthcare professional. Thank you so much for listening today. Please do like us, follow us, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps please the algorithm gods and means more people will get to see and hear what we've got to say about postnatal health. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to leave us a review, even better. Don't forget, you can also follow Mother Bodies on Twitter and Instagram at Mother Bodies, where you can get highlights from each episode and some sneak previews of what's coming up. Thanks again and see you next time.